Thank you for downloading the Bristol Lectures podcast brought to you by UE Bristol. In this podcast, we are joined by Grant Mansfield, founder and CEO of Plimsoll Productions. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this sunny evening. Uh, I'm Lynn Barlow, Assistant Vice-Chancellor Creative and Cultural Industries Engagement here at the University of the West of England. And I'm delighted to welcome you to this distinguished address with Grant Mansfield, CEO and co-founder of Plimsoll Productions. Hello, Grant. You're very welcome. Just back from America, I understand, literally a few hours ago. Literally a few hours ago. And can I just tell you, it's a lot sunnier in the UK than it is in LA at the moment, where I'm not joking, it was cold, grey and wet. So I'm very pleased to be back. Yeah, well, we're not feeling too sorry for you, but it's nice that we've got the sunshine. Anyway, just taking you back a bit, a little bit, um, you actually returned to your hometown of Bristol and set up Plimsoll 10 years ago after a stellar career in television in the US and UK. Um, and Plimsoll became the largest independent producer of natural history programmes in the world and a growing premium factual producer. Then 12 months ago, ITV announced that it had agreed to acquire a majority interest in the company giving it an enterprise value of £131 million. So to, to learn a little more about the Plimsoll story, we're going to first watch a session that you'll remember, Grant, from the Bristol and Bath Screen Summit, when Carol Forderman talked to you and Julian Bellamy, your new colleague, who is Managing Director at ITV Studios, all about what the deal means for the company and the city. So we'll watch that and then you're happy to take questions from the audience, which is great. So please submit those questions in the Q&A box. Um, you can actually boost the questions you like by uh, pushing like and they'll uh, come, up the, come up the list for me to ask Grant. Um, but indeed, to, to submit questions, you need to be viewing in a standard window and not a full screen, apparently. OK, so the interview will last for about 30 minutes. You may hear a little rustling on the sound. Uh, do forgive us for that. But anyway, let's listen to what Grant and Julian had to say to Carol. First of all, Grant, um, you said you came back here, you want to set up an independent. Just briefly, before we see the showreel, tell us about Plimsoll. Tell us about what you thought you were creating. Well, um, I, um, I don't, um, uh, we, we become known as a, a natural history company and I'm very proud of our our natural history department is run by Martha Holmes, who may be in the audience, but um, she, she has built from scratch um, what is actually now the biggest independent natural history studio in the world, and um, uh, uh, an amazing job she's done. I mean, my background is in, in factual entertainment, actually, and um, when I was thinking about starting something in, in Bristol, um, I employed some advisors and one of the things I kept saying to them is I, I don't really know anything about natural history but I want to do something in Bristol um, and I kind of think that maybe we should do some natural history and they kept saying whatever you do whatever you do don't say that to any of your investors nobody we, we had an angel nobody will want to invest in natural not that it isn't a good genre but you know factual entertainment's the, the way and all the rest of it anyway I'm pleased to say that uh, I ignored that advice um, and you know the, the plan was to make was to was to uh, start and then hopefully build a broad-based, unscripted um, TV production company. And um, yeah, that's what we've been been trying to do for the last um, eight years. And um, so far, so good. Congratulations, Grant, and and achieved in such a short space of time. I want to come on to talk about how you put a company like that together and how you get the people 
But Julian, what first appealed about Plimsoll as opposed to anybody else? Well, it's always the same in a way. It's not that complicated, um, at least in theory. Um, you know, great creative businesses are first and foremost built on great talent. Yeah. Uh, and when you look around the world and you look at the, you know, we have 60 different production companies around the world. And, uh, and, and I like to think the golden thread that ties them all together is world-class creative talent. So over the last five years, we've, for example, really majored on building a formats business, entertainment business. We've really majored on building a drama business because we think those are big growth areas. And a couple of years back, we had really started to see a trend where, where we saw natural history, or, or for want of a better phrase, premium factual, um, particularly with the streamers, being a big area of growth. And, and our, our, our response to that is the same response as to drama and entertainment, which is to identify the best talent in that growth sector and then find a way to try and attract them and bring them into the, into the, you know, into the group and then enable them and support them to fulfill their ambitions and passions. And that, in the end, is what makes great studio groups work. So was it that you saw a series or you saw a Plimsoll programme, or is it that people come to you? Did they come to you, or did you just notice that the, the growth in Plimsoll? How does it work? There's a, there is a process, yeah. so Grant, I'm sure, can, you know, if you can, can, can refer to that in a, in a minute. But I mean, I was running the, the kind of creative commissioning for, for, this, for Discovery, for, for, for all their output outside of the US. And um, I remember we talked then, actually, about some projects. And I remember thinking back then that Grant had something, a very different, very entrepreneurial, very dynamic vision for his company and then we've pretty much you know we've 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 our paths have crossed over the years and then look you know you know you see shows like tiny world and you can't help but just think you're wowed by the quality and ambition of those shows so so of course all of that you know was a gorgeous alignment of planets for us um and so yeah so we we were absolutely delighted that they've joined the group and it's I mean, it's interesting you talk about the entrepreneurial spirit because, Grant, your career has been multifaceted and hugely successful. You know, from... I remember when you became managing director of Granada Television, when you moved from ITV, from Network Centre, and you went There's been a few catastrophes. (laughs) (laughs) Granada Television, wonderful. Then RDF, obviously, and so on. But what is it about that entrepreneurial spirit? Because that's often where independents fall down. Is about making the money. It's about driving the business forward. Where did that come from? Well, I mean, to be honest, I think I, I learned quite a lot at, at, at ITV. I mean, that old saying that um, there's no show, uh, there's, there's no there's no show without the business. I think is is absolutely true. It starts with shows. But I mean, I would say, I mean, it's very nice to hear me described as entrepreneurial. I mean, I, the, I think the model. Certainly with Plimsoll, which which was different, actually. It, it wasn't so much about me being entrepreneurial. It was about me having done this long enough to recognise that I didn't want to start a company on my own. So, I mean, lots of independent producers, uh, rather brilliant independent producers, you know, do start on the, you know, the metaphorical and probably literal sort of kitchen table. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just didn't want to do that. Um, so I took an investor on board from day one, but also from day one, I, you know, I, I had probably five or six 
colleagues, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but for those of you running independent producers as a startup, that is a lot. I had a little bit of, I had some angel investment money. So actually, um, from day one, I haven't actually had to do this on my own. I mean, Martha Holmes joined very early on. Uh, Jonathan Jackson is the COO, arrived pretty early after we'd started. So I know everybody says this, but genuinely, it's been, we, we're quite an unusual model because there was a sort of gaggle of us from, from the start. And, and the reason we did that was, I guess, partly for commercial reasons, but it's also because isn't the best thing about TV to collaborate. I mean, I think that's why we all end up working in the industry in the end. And, and one of the tough things about setting up as a small indie is quite often, at the very beginning, you don't get that opportunity. There's no, there's no money, so you kind of do it on your own. I had five or six colleagues from day one who, who have been part of the Plimsoll story from the start. And, and I think one of the reasons that we've been successful is there's been a group of us at it from day one, basically. And um, what is the point, you know, do, so you have different people, obviously, with different roles in the business, but the managing director, how do you say when somebody has a good idea, is it just about the, the bottom line? Was this all about eventually you were going to sell to a larger company? Where, where did that drive? No, no, not, I mean, it genuinely wasn't. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I don't think many people in our industry get out of bed in the morning and think how I'm going to make money. You kind of think how am I going to make a, a great show. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it becomes a kind of virtuous circle, doesn't it? There's a rather sort of vulgar and slightly dismissive um, phrase about, um, you hear people say about Disney um, when you're in the States, that the phrase is, don't fuck with the mouse. And what, that, what, what they're sort of trying to suggest is it's a ruthlessly commercial company. And I guess on one level it is. But they're also the company that makes that, that extraordinary content. So at heart, I consider myself to be a TV producer. I suspect Julian does as well. Um, and, you know, it, it, if you get the first bit, which is the most important bit, right, you, you create great content, then yes, I think the next step is to try and be you know, sensible and commercial about it. I'm not embarrassed about the fact that we've run our company along proper commercial lines. I mean, that's why, you know, Jonathan Jackson, who's in the audience, is, is, in, is in the company. But, it, you know, it's, um, as somebody once said, it's, it's all about the show, stupid. It, it has to begin with the shows. But, yeah, then it's quite nice to make... And you have 60 companies under ITV Studios, you were saying. 60 companies in uh, 13 different markets. We, we, yeah, we make, I don't know, 7,000 hours a year of, of original production. We have a catalogue of 90,000 hours. But just to echo Grant's point, we're in an industry, one of the things I love about this industry is that there's so much opportunity for innovation. And we saw a little bit of that in the last session. Uh, but one thing remains constant, which is it's a hit business. Uh, and, and to Grant's point, uh, you know, the, the fundamentally... The, the, the key to success, whether you're a small indie or a big studio, is still the same. Can you come up with a hit and then can you nourish it and grow it to, to prosper for many years? And that fundamentally is still not just what makes a studio tick, but when I look at all of our creative leaders, and Grant's right, I'm, I still, first and foremost, see myself as a creative person, a producer. But m when you talk to great producers... The thing that gets them out of bed every morning is the hope and dream of coming up with a hit show. And that is the, that is the DNA of, 
all great producers. You were coming from natural history. You don't kind of expect that because for, from a viewer's perspective, you think, oh, well, obviously, uh, Sir David Attenborough, and you think of the Bristol Natural History Unit. So Plimsoll has rocketed in a very small number of years to become the world's largest independent um, uh, natural history studio. I mean, that is one hell of an ambition, Grant, and it does come from the top, that... It's, it's a dubious point. It actually, it actually really comes down to hiring great producers. Is Martha in the audience? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, it, <laughs> was her, it was her what did it, um, believe me. I mean, um, I mean, you know, one of the great things, actually, was that, I mean, obviously, in the natural history independent sector, there are lots of BBC refugees. The BBC, by the way, still makes brilliant shows. But one of the... You know, one of the really exciting things for me was to work, you know, with somebody who up until that time had been uh, a sort of BBC lifer. And and I think Martha would kind of share this view that we, we both went on a, a quite new journey. I mean, Martha was saying to me the other day that although she was one of the most esteemed producers of natural history in the BBC Natural History Unit, until she worked at an independent producer, she'd never pitched the show. It's true, isn't yeah. it, Martha? And since then, Martha's sold about 50 series, so um, uh, oh, I don't know. She was hiding her light under a bushel. So it all, it all begins with, with, with great producers. It really does. And I think the job of you know, creative leadership, if that's what you want to call it, is that I think what Julie and I are both in the business of is you're, you're trying to create a kind of a stimulating, supportive and respectful environment where the very best people believe they can do their best work. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And obviously, you've got to pay them well as well. My, my job now is, is less about execing shows. And if you can do that, then the best people will come and work with you. And then, and then interesting things start to happen. And it's interesting you're saying that because, Mar you know, Martha... Uh, we're talking about, you know, um, is hugely successful, as you say. And in the previous panel, and in all of the panels, we've been talking about upskilling. And that can happen at any age. It doesn't necessarily have to happen to a 16-year-old or a 21-year-old. So traditionally, we think about, oh, yes, and people learn, and then they leave formal education, and then somehow that stops, and you go... But that isn't the case, particularly not in this marketplace. And you were referencing, you know, how fast things are changing, particularly in the the previous panel because that's changed by the week yeah you know what are the things that you were looking for from plimsoll in terms of the change you've you saw the last panel you saw what's going on in bristol with the with the uh technologies with vr and and, and vfx and so on would you want Plimsoll to start looking around Bristol to try and change what they do? Or? In a way, the other way around, actually. One of the things that I was really struck by was that um, the extent to which Plimsoll have um, um, embraced a lot of new technology. And, and actually, I, I thought we had quite a lot to learn from them. Oh, um, and um, uh, and I remember very early on, we had a we had a sort of tour of of, of Plimsoll, and we met all sorts of people um, who were working on all sorts of fascinating sort of new technologies. And again, you, look, you watch the shows, and you can see the, the extent to which new technology is embraced. But I, I still I still come back to what we. Of course, you want the companies in the group to embrace you know the principles of 
innovation. Of course you do. But fundamentally, what you, what, what you want them to do, is, you know, and the reason why you're investing in them is because you believe that they have brilliant talent that are capable of coming up with brilliant shows that, you know, that can be sold around the world or broadcast around the world. And fundamentally, what you want to do is do everything you possibly can to enable them and support them to meet that ambition. And, if, and obviously, innovation is part of it, but it isn't in the end. That isn't the beating heart of why you, know, you look for those partnerships. It, it is, honestly, I know, we, I know I sound like a stuck record, but it is about the people. You know, it, it really is. And, um, and so for us, first and foremost, we were just, you know, we were wowed by the quality of the team and the output. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about deals, I mean, I've done two deals for Plimsoll now. First, we, we bought private equity, and which exited when ITV Studios bought us. And obviously, there's a lot of focus on the deal and how much is it worth, and there's a lot of discussion around that. But I really think that the thing that matters most is that you've got some kind of cultural alignment. I mean, the truth is, if you put any asset up for sale, if you're selling a house, it, it, that sort of price tends to settle around the same place. And in the end... The decisions you make, uh, I think, are far more important decisions about, you know, who do we feel comfortable with? Who, who shares our values? I mean, on our, on our website, it says that our simple statement is, Plimsoll is an ambitious global company that values excellence and kindness. And I know this sounds like a slightly strange thing to say about a big corporation like ITV, but I think they, they share those values. And we, we talked about it a lot. And... So, in many ways, it was quite an easy one because, actually, uh, firstly, these guys actually came to Bristol. Sounds like a small thing, but I spent a lot of time running around Los Angeles and London. As soon as we engaged with Julian and his team, he brought his entire leadership down, leadership team, I probably shouldn't say this, but as soon as he left the room, in fact, Martha was in, in the room, and I think it was Martha or several people, I like those guys. If we can make a deal... And in the end... You know, because this isn't the end of them. This is the beginning of a partnership. Absolutely. And so I think that, you know, sharing those kind of cultural, it, it, it really matters. And obviously they have a huge amount of expertise in the sector. That can be helpful as well. But we, we just felt really comfortable. Yeah, I've, I, it's a really good point. And I've, I've always, I think I said this to you very early on, Grant, I, I've, I've never underestimated when we, as we've built the group over, uh, over the last few years, I'm always very mindful and very aware of the fact the, 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 you know, when we talk about investments and acquisitions, actually, you know, I'm very aware that these are people's babies, right? I mean, Grant and the team built this from nothing, right? And, and these decisions about who you partner with for, as you say, not just for today, but genuinely, we see this as a long, long-term investment. And we, we want to build something even bigger and more successful here than it is today. And we're completely aligned on that. And I've always felt that you've got to be making sure that you avoid the temptation on both sides to kind of give each other a spin and a sell, which, of course, we're all doing, but to some degree. But to really sit down and make sure that, the, that there really is genuine cultural alignment that you genuinely understand each other's values and feel comfortable with them, that you don't feel after the moment you sign the deal that either side get any surprises. You know, those things are really important because you're building something for the long term. So it's, it's a really fundamental point in, the, in those deals that we do. I think it's, it's fantastic and, it, and it's wonderful to hear about the future, which I do want to talk about. But before that, 
how long um, does the process take? You know, from that initial, can we have the first date to getting married? Well, it's probably slightly longer for me than it was for Julia. I mean, I, I guess the whole process, it, it, it takes nine or ten months, the best part of a year, because what happens is that the, the process, without going to... It, we hire some corporate finance advisors, they go out and discreetly take soundings, and we were in the fortunate position that we had a lot of people interested in acquiring the company, and um, as the old saying goes, you have to kiss a lot of frogs. Um, and, um, and then, you know, and then I guess about sort of halfway into the process, you start talking to the people that you're really serious about. So from, from my point of view, it took the best part of... It's not far off a year, about about 10 months. I don't know how long it was for you guys. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's a good six months. I mean, that, that, honestly, in the grand scheme of things of running a studio business, that's a blink of an eye. Uh, dramas. I mean, we're knocking out dramas at the moment that have, you know, were first developed six or seven years ago. You know, the relationships that we have are relationships that take place sometimes over decades. So, so the for us, and, and I hope this is one of the reasons why we're, you know, um, we're a very good partner for companies like Plimsoll, is that we look to the long term. We're looking to build long-term value. Uh, and so, honestly, whether it's three months, six months, a year, um, you know, that, that is all in the grand scheme of things, you know, pretty short. Grant mentioned earlier about that you loved that Julian and his team came down to Bristol. And as, you know, somebody who hasn't been a London or South East-based person over my entire life, Leeds, North Wales, wherever, Bristol, um, it is very meaningful. And is that something that you would normally do, Julian, with your team? Oh, always. It's a people business. Yeah. So how can you expect to be taken seriously, in my view, if you're not building personal chemistry? Um, but also, don't forget... We're incredibly, you know, we're a, a global business. So I spend half my life on a plane. Um, uh, uh, and, and also we are an out-of-London business. I mean, 45% of the total workforce of ITV is outside of London. You know, we have production bases and in... appreciated yeah, that. Plymouth, Cardiff, Glasgow, Leeds, Manchester, down here, you know. So, so for us, it's not a... Honestly, it wasn't a... Tactic. It was just that's just the way we work. I mean, I, I, I spend as much time as I do on a train around um, around Britain, um, and and I've always seen it as one of our great strengths as a production group. You know, if you want to be a successful commercial group in the studio business, you have to reflect your audience, and you have to be able to tap into the great talent that lies outside of London. And if you don't, I honestly don't think you're going to be... Uh, I don't think you're going to be successful going forward. And so, for us, it, it, it's not just you know, the right thing to do. It, it's, it's absolutely born out of pragmatic commercialism as well. It's interesting because it's ITV studios, and of course ITV was built originally, wasn't it, from the cartel of counties and Border and you know Granada and Yorkshire and all the way down and HTV, obviously HTV West. So um, it's interesting, isn't it, how it's sort of fashionable, and then 20 years ago it all went to London and then sort of blossomed out again. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of that is to do with the changing state of the market as well. I mean, you know, if you if you talk to I mean, if you talk to buyers around the world, um, as we both do, you know, you know, on a regular basis, two things, two messages always come through. Number one, Britain 
as a is is punches way beyond its its weight in the in the global creative market. You know, half of the world's top selling formats come from these shores. I mean, I it, it is a creative powerhouse and is recognised as that. Number two, they are particularly streamers. They are they are they are yearning for distinctiveness. They're looking for they're looking for voices outside of the metropolitan mainstream as well as the metropolitan mainstream. But they are looking for those that diversity of voice and perspective. And how are you going to tap into that as a studio group if you're only if you've only got one set of people in one location? You can't. So so you you need to be able to think that way at a national and global level. You know, in America, we, we're not just based in Los Angeles in America. We, we have offices in Denver, in Nashville, in New York and LA for precisely that reason. So it, it's, it's, again, it's back to, it, it's a very deliberate commercial strategy. And obviously a hugely successful one. And I completely understand uh, why and how. So the deal is signed? Uh, yeah, it's been signed for, for three months. And, you know, um, I'm not off in a good way, that there would be no surprises. Yeah. You know, I think that's the, you know, we spent, a, I mean, Julie and I have known each other, as he said, uh, personally for a long time. But, um, but you know, we did spend a lot of time getting to know each other. And um, it's, it's panning out, you know, exactly the way um, I thought it would do. And, you know, I mean, you know, what we're getting is, it's, it's not just what we're getting is a lot of extra strategic expertise and knowledge so you know when when you know when you do a deal like this uh, say there's always a focus on you know the enterprise value but actually for me this was largely about you know w what is a way of guaranteeing that Plimsoll will continue to grow and prosper and actually you know really knowledgeable um executives um are hard to find and very expensive. But we get a huge amount of, you know, market insights. They're not, they're not telling us how to run our business, but actually, if you want to ask a question, it's not just Julian, there's a whole bunch of people on that board that know stuff that we don't know. They know about, they know about deals or they've got, so all that kind of stuff is, is incredibly valuable. And at a stroke, when you've done a deal, you've suddenly got a huge amount of extra sort of firepower in the company just by virtue of doing the deal. Do you find, Grant, because some might say, oh, well, you know, I built the house, I've sold the house, I've made a profit. Oh, I can sit back a little bit now. But I, obviously that's not your intention. But do you find that there's, after you've taken that moment, just a breath when you have actually signed, that you think, right, does it give you a renewed vigour for the business? Um, yes, you know, having new partners, you know, it's, some of these things sound like cliches, but there are kind of suddenly new horizons open. So I think it is in, incredibly reinvigorating. I mean, you know, no one, as far as I know, inside our business wants to stop doing what we're doing. We, we you know, we love making TV shows. It's fascinating, actually, because we, we had private equity on board the first time round, and before we did the deal... Um, I was called up to meet the chief executive of the whole group who's based in Birmingham, quite a tough, very successful guy. And I hadn't dealt with him up to that point. He said, we're just about to sign the deal. But he said, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that, you know, he said, can you, can you honestly tell me that the day after I've done the deal, you won't all quit? And I said, yes, I can honestly tell you. He said, I find that really difficult to believe. And I said to him, 
Do you like your job, Martin? Isn't it kind of called Martin Draper? And he said, well, not all the time. And I said, well, I like my job every day of the week. And I, I think Bristol is an amazing creative city. And there are difficulties and challenges and frustrations trying to raise money for shows and it's hyper competitive. But oh my God, what a privilege it is to work in this industry. Yeah, we're at an age now where friends of mine who've been very successful and made lots of money have given it up. And you say, why have you given up? It's a lawyer or an estate agent. They said, well, I never really liked my job. You know what I mean? You think, no, I don't know what you mean. One of the great, you know, pleasures and privileges of working in this industry is, you know, we get paid to entertain people, you know, and God, what a fantastic... And to stories yeah. and to be with people we like to be with and all of those different things. And um, Grant, have you... Have you explained why it's called Plimsoll, why the company is called Plimsoll? I think it's quite a nice story. I, I'm a sort of obsessive runner, and many years ago I used to run down by the portway on a regular basis, and there was a, there was a, 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 a bust of yeah. a fine gentleman with a big, yeah. big beard, and I, it was all on its own. I don't know if it's still there, to be honest. He's opposite um, SS Great Britain. Oh, he's, he's opposite. Yeah. And so I, I stopped one time, and it was this guy called... Samuel Plimsoll, and uh, in Bristol's slightly checkered history, Samuel Plimsoll is a genuinely good bloke. Um, uh, he did something that was very useful, and he came up with the idea for the Plimsoll line, which is the line actually painted on the side of every single ship in the world. And you don't load a ship below the Plimsoll line, because if you do, it, uh, it tips over. And it sounds like a really bizarre thing, but until he came up with this idea... Um, I'm not, I'm not a, a scientist, but apparently when water temperature changes, buoyancy changes, and lots of ships used to go out to sail, sea, and, well, you're an engineer, you probably understand this. So that's the background. The second thing was, for various reasons, I wanted to call it Escapade Productions, but the cost of getting global clearance for the domain name was £5,000. Parcel Productions was two ninety nine. <laughs> Did you know that story? I have heard that. I mean, you asked. It was a, I have heard that story, yeah. So, how often are you going to visit Bristol, Julian? Well, we come, I'd say, we, what is it, every month or two, isn't it? It tends to be, depending on board meetings and that's, you know, and, and, and what's going on. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's very important to, I mean, Grant was always, I mean, it was very sweet of him to say that he was, he, he thought that was a, uh, it was a nice thing for us to come down. But, but actually, how can you get a feel for a business if you're not, if you're not yeah. there? So, yeah. Um, so, yes, hopefully, hopefully, you know, uh, very regularly. Well, I'm sure everyone here would agree that it's wonderful that you've come and you've spent time with us and, and also listening to the other panels so that you start to get an understanding of... Absolutely. I know you have an understanding of what's going on in the city, but uh, that, that you enjoy it. So let's talk about the future because that's how every panel discussion must end when we talk about the future. What is, what is your expectation of the next... Let's say five years. How are things going to change? Well, I mean, I, I, I suppose we're, we're, we're going to grow and, and diversify. Um, you know, we don't just make natural history shows. Um, we, we have a, a very successful um, show on Channel 4 at the moment about woodworking, somewhat bizarrely. Um, Handmade Britain's Best Woodworker, which is Channel 4's best performing new show in the 8 o'clock show for, for four or five weeks. We, we do adventure... Pro oh, sorry, four or five years. We do adventure programming... Um, we have a uh, we have a, uh, a factual drama department, and we'll soon be announcing our first commission. So, uh, you know, I think it's 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 growth and diversification within our lane, 
and our main drama is a bit of an outlier is is this area that Julian's rightly described as premium popular factual and you know what does premium mean I mean to be honest it, it tends to mean relatively well-funded unscripted shows I mean one of the great advantages of working with the streamers is you know for the right idea they will pay big money and in the end there is a relationship between how much somebody pays you for a show and the kind of show you can make and going back to you know my job which is to attract the best producers into the company a producer we make we, we there's nothing wrong with making a show for fifty thousand pounds we make some of those shows but actually if you offer a producer fifty thousand pounds or a million pounds to make a show quite a lot of them will come for the million pound show so you know i think that's a that is a, an area of 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 huge uh, potential um uh, and and growth still um and you know the streamers in particular i mean most people in this room will know that i mean you know obviously that their, their business model to start with was they played old movies then they started commissioning their own dramas but now they're beginning to commission unscripted in a really significant way and as part of this um deal we commissioned a piece of independent research about the the outlook for unscripted tv over the next seven years and i have to say it's incredibly positive because there's only so much drama even a netflix can afford and it's what what's really interesting to me is obviously drama there's some amazing dramas and itv makes a lot of them but a lot of the shows that a read reed hastings these days who runs netflix is as likely to talk about love is blind as he is the crowd so I, for anybody working in the non-scripted space, I think the future is, is very bright. Julian, i ask you the same, same question. Yeah, the next I mean, five years. Yeah, I, well, uh, I, I mean, Christ, I mean, it, it, let's be honest, it, it, it's a bit of guesswork, you know, um, uh, because one of the wonderful things is the answer is no, no one knows, right? But I would certainly say I feel very confident that studios will continue to grow as a business. Uh, why am I so confident? Because we've got great, creative talent, great shows. Um, I, I, I think there's some really interesting questions about the future. You know, uh, I, I think the, the, you know, how the streamers will change, um, whether we'll see more consolidation, what new players we'll see. I mean, look, easy to forget, you know, um, just what, two or three years ago, um, players like Roku in the US, you know, unheard of in terms of commissioning. Today, they're one of our, you know, you know, they're a significant client for us. Look at the rise of a of a regional SVOD, regional streamer like Viaplay in Scandinavia. So, so there's a. I think one of the really interesting questions is how will the streamers evolve and change? Um, how will their demand for content change? What will that mean for the balance between drama? I mean, just to give you a, a sense, 560 dramas commissioned in the US this year, just to give you a sense of the scale of scripted commissioning at the moment in the market. So again, very interesting question of, well, you know, um, uh, what, what, what opportunity therefore lies for, you know, in unscripted. And then I think longer term, look, you will begin to see, I think, more and more, um, uh, uh, more and more toes being dipped in the water around Web 3.0, around NFTs, around um, um, uh, the metaverse, you know, things like that, which are still, from a studios group point of view, quite nascent, but very interesting, I think. And so, I mean, look, I mean, I'm gonna go back to my, my theme, which is one thing you can be absolutely sure of, is it's still gonna be about hit shows. Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, you know, 
a hit is a hit is a hit. It may be distributed in different ways, it may engage an audience in different ways, but it will still be in five, ten years' time, it will still be about can we collectively come up with a hit show? Uh, and, and that will continue to be the key to it all. Yeah, actually, just to pick up on that point about, you know, um, prophecies for the future, it is a bit of a mugs game in this industry. I mean, the, the most famous quote, which I'm sure a number of you know, is from William Goldman, which he famously said, nobody knows anything. And he wrote a very, he wrote a very famous book about uh, for, for nascent screenwriters, and this was based on his own personal experience. So uh, forgive me if some of you know this story, but William Goldman was an intellectual academic. I think he went to Princeton and... One day, he was teaching creative writing. He thought, oh, I might just sort of bash out uh, a script um, for a film. And uh, the first script he bashed out was for a film called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which became, uh, for those of you that remember films from the 70s, a massive hit. But his point was that he just assumed that he'd done it once and it would another one naturally follow. And if I tell you that his career ended... His writing career ended up with him getting a co-writing cr credit on Twins. You know, the path is not already, always smooth. You know, the, the elusive search for a hit is what keeps us all going. Um, but, uh, yeah, trying to call this industry, it's changed so rapidly in the last few years. But, again, going back to the theme of the day, that's why I think there's a time in the evolution of an indie where actually partnering up with a large organisation that, that really does have insights into the market that you don't have can be very valuable. Most wonderful. I'm going to open this up now for uh, some questions, if I can see that. Oh, I can. Um, so, anybody, questions for either Julian or Grant or both? Martha, you're not allowed. <laughs> I can't see. Can you wave, wave? Oh, gentleman at the back there. We'll get, them. we'll get a microphone to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm interested in how it might change your um, development team um, and kind of, you know, how the, you know, the acquisition might, I don't know, there might be some more pressure on it or kind of um, a, a new direction of, of development and, and how, you know, what that means going forward. Because it's obviously like, what, 99% failure rate in development. Most people know that. But, you know, how, how does that change going forward? Because that's, that's the growth of the business, ultimately. Sorry, I, I can't see your face. I don't know your name either. It's interesting to know who's, who, who you are. And Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Kieran Carney. <clears throat> I was... Uh, um, master's student at UWE, which, oh. which partnered with Plimsoll. Oh, okay, Kieran, yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's a slightly disappointing answer. It doesn't really change anything, actually. It, it's it's the really interesting thing that, that, you know, in the end, you've got to assume that Julian decided to buy Plimsoll because he kind of thought we knew what we were doing. Um, and so, actually, there is there hasn't been some fundamental... Uh, and I don't think there is going to be some fundamental shift in strategy. I think they will be able to help us in incremental ways on a, you know, on a regular basis. And yeah, there may be a, a big play that they can help with. So you know, we 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 are working on a what for Plimsoll and ITV is a new model, which is a new funding model for natural history, which means we can hold on to the IP. So. 
you know, organisations like ITV, they can provide some deficit financing, if I can make a commercial case to Julian. But, but the truth is, on a day-to-day basis, I, I would say that somebody said to me the other day, how does it feel? And I said, well, it, to be honest, it feels exactly the same as it did before. And I don't know, Julian... Okay. But that's probably the way you wanted to feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one way to lose creative talent is to start saying to them, oh, I think you should be changing your development strategies after you bought them. Uh, so, 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 no, exactly as you say, Grant. I mean, look, you know, one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why we wanted to invest in the company was because we, were, we thought the creative output and therefore ergo, the development was incredibly strong. And actually, um, you know, if you're, if you're running a studios group, you know, one of the things that you tend to protect more than anything else is R&D, which is in effect development. Uh, and to your point, I mean, it is a really tough bit of the business, right? I mean, it's a rejection business. So, you know, you've got to be, and, and let's be frank, it's harder today to win, to, to get buyers to buy a genuinely new and original idea than it was probably five years ago, because it's so much more competitive, so much noisier. There's, a, there's clearly in the market, you know, a completely understandable leaning in many, for, many, for many of the buyers, not just here but everywhere, towards the tried and, tus- tried and tested and the, the, the sort of known brands. So getting new things away is really hard. Uh, it's a tough business. So having a, 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 some muscle that can help with that R&D, whether it be, you know, innovative new financing models, whether it can be new ways to pilot shows. Quite often, for example, we will, we had an idea in the US recently where we ended up piloting it in Australia through our Australian division um, uh, for all sorts of editorial and financial reasons. And there's, there, I think one of the advantages going forward of, of, of being part of groups like us is that, is that we, we will find other ways in which we can kind of supercharge R&D and development. I mean, you know, Karen, your point about development, I mean, I think it is the toughest part of the business. I don't know how many people here work in development, but I thought one of the things that was interesting about the the drama panel, which Sasha chaired, was was several of the, the producers were making the point that you almost have to get into production as part of the development process before you get a commission these days, and that's the same in unscripted. Not only do people not only do you get a lot of rejection but quite often you'll get rejection at the end of a long and by extension expensive um development process so actually you know one of the most crucial meetings we have every week uh, which i i chair i'm not actively involved in all the creative things going on is we have a, a, a development priorities meeting where the leadership team try and work out where we're going to put our precious resources because it, it's pretty much impossible to sell a show of any value these days without or what I call the accoutrements. You know, you need a great sizzle or you probably need an interactive website. If you're in drama, you need a script. So it's just really hard. Thank you. Thank you, Kieran, for that question. Any further questions? There's a gentleman here. Could you just wait for the microphone, please, sir? And if you say your name and where you're from, sounds like blind date, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm Bernard Walton. Um, I'm just interested to know, from ITV's point of view, will, uh, will there ever be a British streaming service like Netflix? I mean, could, could ITV become global in that sense? I mean, you're global in many other ways. I mean, you've got ITV Hub, of course, but I'm just curious as to what you're thinking 
Because you're one of the biggest. In, in the yeah, world. I mean, obviously we've got the launch of ITVX coming up. Um, um, so it's a very timely question and one that, you know, I know everyone is certainly in, in, you know, in, in the company and beyond are very excited about. Um, and obviously that's not my division, just to be clear. I run the studios group, Kevin Ligo, uh, runs um, uh, what's called the M&E division, the media entertainment division, which ITVX, the content strategy part of it, comes under. I mean, the short answer to your question is no. I mean, look, you know, local streamers, whether it be ITVX or BBC iPlayer, you know, they're a completely different beast, right? I mean, they're completely different. I mean, just to, again, just to, Netflix spend, their content budget this year is 17 billion, right? Netflix, one of them. So, which of course is great news. What's the TVs? Um, uh, a lot less. And uh, it's, it's, it's it's public, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, it's going to be a fraction of that. And um, uh, but I mean, compared to you know uh, some of those big global streamers, it's a you know it, it's a, it's you know apples and pears. So plus, of course, don't forget we also have a joint venture, uh, BritBox. Um, with the BBC, which is doing very well. And then, of course, look, you know, the, because of the right situation here in the UK, there's always the opportunity for studios like us to then sell our shows around the world, some of which, of course, end up with Netflix. So, um, uh, so no, I think, look, the short answer to your question is that they're, they're completely different animals. Well, thank you. Thank you for your questions. I think we've run out of time. Susie's doing this to me. <laughs> um, so thank you very much everybody uh, for coming today but most of all thank you Grant and congratulations to everyone at Plimsoll and thank congratulations you. to everyone at ITV Studios well, thank you for having me for the most amazing me. purchase yeah. uh, and for coming down to Bristol so thank you thank you Well, hello. Welcome back, Grant. Um, I hope you remember taking part in that. So I, I was just calculating that's about sort of six months ago since um, since that conversation uh, took place. So um, what's changed in the last six months? You're just back from America. Is it is it as you hoped? Are you still as positive? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm still as positive. I, I'm working even harder. OK, is that how it's meant to be? Uh, uh, well, it's just the way it is. <laughs> no, it's, I suppose it's just in response of it to, I think somebody asked the question about, in fact, Merlin Carroll about um, whether you do a deal and then sort of go and lie down in the dark room and celebrate. There's not much time for that. And uh, it's interesting times in our industry. Certainly, um, my my most recent trip to LA has has really um, reinforced that. It's, it's, it's a pretty challenging time. I think it's everybody working in the street will know. Yeah. So let's just talk about that, if, if you will, for a moment, because it's been fantastic. Over the last two or three years, it's been really buoyant, more streamers, a lot of content makers. But there's a kind of big landscape shift going on, isn't there? There's a consolidation of the big players. Can you kind of run that through how that affects, how, how that might affect a producer on the street? How, how does all of that affect people wanting to make content? Well, I think lots of producers on the streets in, in Bristol, are, uh, their biggest customers are in America and um, obviously, there's a global recession going on, which is affecting everybody. But there's something else happening in the States, which I think has a is having a significant impact um, on on all producers that work at US platforms um, a lot. And, and that that actually means a lot of producers in Bristol. And that's there is 
there's a huge amount of consolidation going on uh, in the sector and and reorganization Warner Brothers and Discovery have merged there are numerous companies between them um there's um there is some fairly significant there's some fairly significant restructuring going on at Disney where the ex CEO has has come back in I mean, I think what underpins all of this is that the the streamer model has proved that it can attract subscribers in the hundreds of millions. Uh, now investors are saying, prove to us you can make some money. And actually, none of them have done that so far. So um, there, there's a little bit of a, a pause. I mean, I, I, my trip was, it, it felt very productive and, and exciting. There's still work to be won, but I'd say you have to work even harder for it than you had to before. Yeah, we've got a good question here that actually fits on the back of that then. So um, this is this 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 question is that um, Deloitte Insights predicted that T, traditional television broadcasters share of viewing hours in the UK. OK, so traditional broadcasters share of viewing hours in the UK will fall to 49 percent this year. So that's very interesting, isn't it? So it's going to dip under the the percentage of people actually watching what we would call our PSBs and our traditional broadcasters, the broadcasters that you and I grew up with. Because there's another question um, here from somebody that's saying, you know, what does entry level work look like, um, you know, for somebody that wants to become a, a TV producer now? Because it's it's changed. Has it changed or has it not changed, Grant? Well, I mean, I mean there's two things in there, isn't it? I mean, I think, you know, first of all, I mean, our, our company, 90% of our, our, our income is from the US and that is really for the streamers i mean i think you know free-to-air linear broadcasters you know have been in a gentle state of decline for some time so the shifting landscape i think in many ways has been a a, a, a positive thing for people i mean in terms of sort of new entrance into the industry i mean to be honest i think there's it's never been a more exciting time there's so much stuff you can do and you know when you and i were starting i mean we both worked in newspapers for god's sake do you remember those things newspapers that used to be opaque. I mean, I, I, I just think that um, despite all the disruption and, and if you like, the lack of a clear path, the, the, the opportunities are, are so many and varied now. I think, it's, I think it's a great time to be starting. I couldn't point you in a particular direction, but if you're a creative person, um, there, are, there, are, there are a ton of wonderful opportunities out there, actually, and they're not all about TV production companies to be honest if you want to work in the creative sector well that's a very good answer and very good i'm sure for some of our audience who are hoping to have their careers in the creative sector if they're they're listening to that so here's a here's a question that's quite interesting because i suspect this might be somebody um who who's thinking about starting out in the business so to what extent do online video sharing platforms such as youtube pose a threat to mainstream broadcast and streaming services so so does youtube actually is that is that the next big threat do you think to the shape of the market well no, I know. I mean, listen. I think YouTube's already well established. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's it's the most popular content sharing and viewing platform in the world. I mean, it's it's already a, a hugely established uh, model. So, I, I, I mean, you know, if you're an, if you're a, a traditional free-to-air broadcaster, in one sense, everything's a threat. And I think that the way um, typical broadcasters have behaved, uh, those kind of broadcasters behaved is, um, well, actually ITV is a very good example, that as important as their broadcast business uh, was, and to a certain extent is, they have shifted very firmly towards becoming a, a creator of content for other platforms as well as themselves. So, um, you know, for, for traditional free-to-air 
broadcasters have are, are having to adapt pretty quickly. And I mean, you know, YouTube is a, is is a massive success story. There are far more people watching YouTube than ever watched any of the big broadcasters at, at the height of their popularity. So, do you put your um, programs on YouTube, Grant? Does Plimsoll have a YouTube outlet? No, but um, but ITV. Um, uh, certainly has some YouTube channels uh, for well-established brands, um, and and the uh, I mean I think the creation of, of channels, your own channels for your own content, is is something very exciting and something that we're looking at quite seriously. Fast channels, where you you can it's actually you know in the old days it was very technically complicated and expensive to 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 just build a platform. These days, building a digital platform is relatively is a relatively straightforward task the big task now is to try and actually tell people about your channel get people to come to it because as everybody knows there's so much choice mm. but that fast channel they're very popular in the states aren't they where they have sponsored channels so they might have a crime channel sponsored by something because it's you can deliver you just deliver to your computer isn't it because it's an internet channel so do you think we're going to see that here too yeah, I mean, I think I think you already can see it here, and I, and I certainly think it's something that you know it's uh, it, it's it's an opportunity to serve niche audiences. As I say, there are there are already a lot of them, and and the challenge is to make enough noise to to get people to to come to your channel. And uh, I, I'm no expert in this area, but I'm told the most important thing you need is apart from a great idea is a brilliant marketeer to try and bring people to your your platform well somebody who's brilliant on social media they will use social media to bring those followers to your platform it's very interesting it's it's all joined up and circular actually so the sort of skills needed to keep this thing on the road are many and various basically so i think just for our last five minutes there's a couple of interesting questions if i can share those with you grant about actually building building a company um, there's one about how do we assess the UK media landscape for businesses hoping to repeat Plimsoll's success in 2023 some of which I think you've covered but another question I think which fits to that is what are the leadership's qualities you need to grow your vision from that kitchen table to a global company and how do you translate that to the rest of the team so both of those questions really are about how how you go about building that kind of company there's people that are ambitious to do that in the audience, Grant. What can you share with them? Well, I mean, listen, it, it, it all begins with 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 ambition, of course. Um, and and you know, I, I I've said this in 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 that interview, but it's the thing I firmly believe in. You you've got to get um, you've got to you've got to attract a group of like man like minded colleagues and preferably people who are who have you know already have. Uh, you know significant reputations in the industry but um it, you know I, I don't think you I, I we didn't set out to build a big company I mean I, I was I was trying to make a living for um the first year I, you know when I came back from America I was out of work for 18 months so I, I needed to I need to make a living um but um the you know once you've I think once you once you've survived the first year, I think this is the bit that a lot of people said this to me. If you can make it through the first year, then you can start to to 
create a, a strategy for growth. And, and you know, uh, uh, the strategy when you first start an independent producer, believe me, is just to win work. And then once you've won a bit, then you can start to bit, take a bit of a look at the at marketplace. Um, so I, I think the opportunities are still there because go back to your previous question about platforms. It's, it's, it's a really difficult place to be. If you're in the business of, of creating platforms that deliver content, there, there are constant threats. There are new kids on the block and all the rest of it. But the one thing that all these platforms have in common is they all need great content. So actually, as producers, you're, you're kind of platform agnostic. And if you've got great content, somebody's going to buy it. That's very good advice, Grant. And thank you. So final question to, to wrap up, I think, is that you've had a very clear vision for the company itself and a reason for coming back, um, uh, you know, into the city. Um, but one final question to think about. There's a couple of questions um, are just come up on my screen. One of them I think we've answered really. One about the recruitment and, and new talent pipeline, which I think we can talk about. So we'll talk about that one if you don't mind, and then I'll give you my last question, which is really just about your vision for what ITV Studios and Plimsoll might do for the region in the next in the next five to ten years. So they they fit, don't they? Manage recruitment and new talent pipeline. Yeah, I mean, listen. I think the great thing I I I care, as you know, passionately about the city. It's my home city. Um, I I think that 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 Bristol has despite having some great companies in it, creatively has slightly punched below its weight, despite all the creativity. And I think one of the, the great things about ITV investing in a company like ours is, you heard Julian say in the interview, they're in it for for the long run. And, and I think this deal does a number of things, but one of the most important things it does is, is underpin uh, our our big ambition, which is longevity in the market in the marketplace, we we I think ITV means that pencil and indeed ITV will be around for a very long time. That's great news for Bristol and for the city region. Grant, thank you very much indeed for um, giving up your time. Um, good luck. It'd be nice working with you in the future, and hope to see you back at the second Screen Summit um, in the autumn. Yeah, thanks for having me, and um, yeah, have a lovely sunny evening, everybody. Thank you, Grant. Bye.